So today is Father's Day, and Jeremy asked me this week, what's your sermon title, Matt? And I said, Unnecessary Sorrow. And he goes, that's a great sermon title for Father's Day, Matt. And I said, yeah, I didn't really think about that. But then again, I think it goes perfectly. I think it goes wonderfully, and I think it is very necessary for what we're going to be talking about in regards to Father's Day and the role of a father in the family and the responsibility that each one of us have for the sake of one another and for the sake of those that we are trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this week, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that comes out of 2 Corinthians. Each morning I get a verse for the day, and a few weeks ago this verse came through, and usually I read them and I think about it and I delete it, and I'll think about it a few more times throughout the week. But when I got this particular verse, it just kind of stuck with me. And I made a mental note. I was like, I, I, need to, I need to research this verse a little bit. I like what this verse is saying, but it's really heavy. And it's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's verse 6. I'll read it real quick, and then we'll go back, and we'll read the uh, ent entire chapter. Um, I'm sorry, it's verse 7. It says, His presence was a joy, but so was the news that he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. So when Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, Paul does something that we really don't see in a lot of his letters. When Paul writes a letter to a church, he, he's very personal with it. He's very straight up with it. He is very to the point of what he is trying to make. But rarely ever does Paul bring himself into the mix in explaining where he is at in regards to addressing the people. He is always very, um, very good at saying, you know, I'm writing you this because you need to know it. And this is something that you need to hear. This is something that I've learned. Uh, but in this passage of scripture, Paul opens up his personality and, and he talks about uh, there was a deeper inset, almost fear when he first reached out to the Corinthians, and now he's, he's telling them that. He's saying, what I had, had to write to you beforehand, it scared me to death. Because the words that I had to say to you, I knew that you, you could take them and you could be offended, you could be upset, you could be mad, you could actually shut me out. So understand, when I wrote you that letter, I was terrified. I was torn up on the things that I knew that you needed to hear, but the way that you have responded is something that gives me hope and encouragement. So if you have your Bible, turn with me, and we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 11. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or our spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Please open your heart to us, we have not done wrong to anyone, nor have we led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and that we live or die together with you. 
I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me, and you have made me happy despite all of our troubles. And when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news that he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what has happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know that it was painful to you for a little while. But now I am glad that I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused to you to repent and to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such a longing to see me, such zeal and such a readiness to punish, punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. So as I said, Paul wrote that first letter and he knew it was going to be harsh. He knew it was going to be hard for the people to hear. But once Paul received word of how they had listened and how they had taken what he had said to heart and they had used it in order to change some things that they had missed the boat on, Paul was able to express to them that his heart was wrenching the whole time as he wrote the letter and the whole time that he sent that letter because he knew that the way that they could receive it would be something uh, that could possibly ruin the friendship that he so cared for and that he was so proud of that he had with them. So in the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, let us work for the complete holiness because we fear God. You know, that is a question that each one of us need to ask ourselves is when we hear those words, complete holiness and the fear of God, what does that mean for us? Paul is no, uh, it's no surprise when Paul writes the, the number one thing that he writes about for the sake of believers is becoming like Jesus Christ in every single way. And he does so even at the cost of personal identity. And I think that's where Paul really struggled when he wrote that first letter because he knew that what he was going to be approaching was going to be offensive. And he knew that the words that he was going to say were going to cause some people some anguish. The way that Paul was telling them that who they had become and the things that they had made themselves to be did not show a desire to become holy and did not show a fear of God. Now, depending on who you ask on what day, the definition of the fear of God can change. Throughout Scripture, we hear the term, the fear of God, and it, it can be anything from a reverence of God and a respect of God to exactly what the word means, an actual fear of the person of God. But the reality of that statement is that for a lot of believers, it has become a church term that we use in order to answer the question right in Sunday school class 
or we use in a theological debate with somebody. But when it comes down to it, the idea of fearing God, whether in respect or reverence or straight up we're scared of what could happen if we disobey, doesn't really affect our life that much, doesn't really affect our choices. You see, this is where the church at Corinth had found themselves. They had found that it was easier to pursue God through the guidelines of the world. And it was easier to say that they were a Christian as long as their faith had no effect on people that it might upset, people that it might offend. And as a result of that, the world had begun to take a faith from something that feared God and something that respected and revered God to something where God was really just kind of a placeholder in the day's thoughts. And Paul said because of that, they began to stumble. And when one thing was given a little bit of leeway, it led to other things having a little bit of leeway. It led to other things having a little bit of leeway to the point where the church at Corinth was not giving the example of Christ and was not living according to the word that Paul said that they had been taught. But instead, they were living under one banner while looking no different in function than the rest of the world around them. So Paul wrote them that letter, and he confronts several things straight up. He makes no bones about it. He calls it for what it is, and he was scared to death. Have you ever had a moment where you had to address somebody or something, and you knew that it could potentially go really bad, and you were a little concerned on how you would do that? Sometimes they offer classes on tact, on how to approach those things. Paul never took those classes. He just did it. But what we see in Paul's address is that when we walk with Christ, there are going to be moments of joy. When God does something in our life, when we discover something, when we see God do something that we can recognize and we can rejoice in, but then if we are truly following Christ and we are truly seeking to become holy, there's going to be moments of sorrow. There's going to be moments of tenseness. There's going to be moments of anguish. Remember last week when we talked about Paul being in prison, he, he wasn't full of anguish at those opportunities. He, as a matter of fact, he saw those as the best places to be because he could share the gospel freely there. Said, I'm already in jail, so what could they do to me now? So this is a perfect opportunity. I have a captive audience, literally. And so he saw the things that most of us would see as detriment, as an opportunity to share the gospel. But Paul said his biggest parts of anguish was when he had to share his faith with people that he knew might be upset. So when we walk with Christ, inevitably, there are going to be times when we experience sorrowness. But Paul says it is our goal to pursue perfect holiness, to be one like God, separate from the world. But it's hard to live differently than the world when you live in the middle of the world, isn't it? It's hard to be set apart for a kingdom that we read about in Scripture when we're surrounded by people who live in a kingdom that is centered here on earth and here and now. 
I love it uh, when Tony Evans talks about kingdom principles. And he talks about how society is full of good people. Society is full of moral people. Society is full of people that do good for fellow man, but yet they never operate on kingdom principles. And it's kind of the difference between used batteries and brand new batteries. When we operate on kingdom principles, that means Jesus Christ is the very first thing that we consider in every decision, everything that we do. And it is from that point and that point alone that everything, we else, everything else we do builds off of. So Paul says, build, uh, work for complete holiness, the cleansing of our body as well as the cleansing of our spirit. And as he begins to share with his joy uh, about their um, listening to repent, Paul says, if you could understand how, how filled with joy I am, that you didn't, you didn't understand the seriousness of your sin, but yet when you heard my words, it was your, your trust in me that allowed you to respond. He said, because you, you saw who I was, because you knew the words that I spoke were true, when I told you that there was no fruit in your life of the evidence of Christ, you listened. And he said, that is a necessary sorrow that each person needs to live with. I believe it was A.W. Tozer who made the statement. He said that perfection is not the sign of a perfect Christian. But it is the brokenness over sin that reveals a life that has been changed. There's nobody in this room today that is perfect. There's nobody in this room today that has followed the Word of God so closely and so perfectly that we can stand as protectors and defenders of what God has told us. Each one of us every day are grappling to try and live accordingly to what the Word of God says. But it is the brokenness over sin that shows a life that has been changed. That is the point that Paul was trying to make, is that as believers, each one of us need to consider where we are in the world across all aspects of how we function, how we live, and how we interact with people. And we need to ask ourselves, is there fruit? Is there evidence of a life that has been changed? Paul says there is a necessary sorrow that must be present in the life of a believer. It is easy for us through the work of Jesus Christ and the promise of grace every morning to, to be comfortable. It's easy for us when we mess up to say, well, you know what? Grace is, is new every morning and I'll be okay. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call that cheap grace. He said it is the accepting of grace without the work of repentance. It is the claiming of forgiveness without the allowing of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where Paul was confronting the church at, is that they were living in the idea of cheap grace, that they claimed the love of Christ and therefore they had a permission 
to get away with a little bit more than what somebody who feared God would rightfully get away with. And so Paul says, you know, honestly, I'm not real sorry that I wrote you that letter because I want you to understand that I wrote you that letter out of love. And even the most difficult part of scriptures that we read comes from the love of Jesus Christ because his job was to redeem what sin had stolen. And his job was to restore the life that death had laid claim to. So Paul said in each life of a believer, there must be a sorrow and a brokenness of sin. And he said, but there was a pain within you that caused you to repent and to change your ways. It's the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have. He said, so in reality, it was tough to hear, but you weren't harmed in any way. And listen to this in verse 10. It says, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There can be no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Did you know that there's a difference in the sorrow according to Scripture and the brokenness that Scripture says we are to experience versus the way that the world says we're to be sorrowful? The world's definition of sorrow is more of an emotional output. It's more of uh, something that can be seen in the moment, but it's not something that changes the outcome. And Paul says as believers, that is what we need to be careful of. That when we hear a strong word, we react emotionally. We react because the words were tough to accept. The words were hard to hear. And so in that setting, we break down. And we hear those words and, and we struggle with them. And then when it's over, we move past. But the sorrow that comes from God... A person who is operating on kingdom principles, a person who is allowing Jesus Christ to be their influence and their point of foundation. When they hear something that confronts them, that convicts them, they hear those words, no matter how tough they would may, may be, no matter how hard they may be to ingest, and then they work to allow the Holy Spirit to change. They hear the words, they know they come from Christ, they know that it is Christ alone who has redeemed, and then they allow that change to happen in their lives. So Paul said, that is joy. That is the reason by which I work. And dads, honestly, if we are going to lead our families the way that God has intended us to, if we're going to live into that verse that everybody has hanging on the wall, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Each day when we wake up, we need to be ready to live in the brokenness that comes from God's spirit within us. Each day, our number one purpose needs to make sure that when we live and we speak and we act, that there is evidence and there is fruit of a life that has been changed. That when we read in God's word something that confronts us, something that convicts us, 
We need to allow it to break us, to be humble in order that God's spirit might work within us. It is very easy for us to be busy, to fill our schedules with things that are so necessary that we can do away with reading God's word, that we can do away with paying attention to what we had just read when we do have time to read it and move on with no need for a change. It is very easy for us to do that. But in order to fear God, to say that we respect God, to say that we are seeking to become holy, we need to understand that these words are words given for life, for each day of living. They're not words that were thrown out because it went along with the play that was happening. It went along with the things that were going on. We need to get out of the mentality of playing Christian, of being worried about looking the part, of being worried about people seeing us and making sure that we, we are who they expect us to be. But we need to be people who operate under the brokenness where God has confronted the things in our lives that don't fear God. And from there, we need to allow God's spirit to remold us and to remake us into who we are. Because Paul said that worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, we read something in God's word and we go, that's good. And then we don't allow it to change us. He said it leads to spiritual death, to separation from God. None of us want that, do we? We don't want to be separated from God. So as Paul's telling the church in Corinth here to be careful, to be careful. And he said, godly sorrow produces things in you such as earnestness, a diligence to be a better Christian. Anybody in here ever said, I want to be a better Christian? Every single stinking day. It is the brokenness of God that leads you to that earnestness to know Jesus Christ better. It is the brokenness of God that allows you to have a desire to clear yourselves. That pursuit of pure and complete holiness. That the things that are within us that are not of God would be pushed away, would be no more. But the sorrow that the world gives is shame and regret, acceptance for the sake of not ruffling feathers, anxiety, shyness. Do you know one of the worst things that we could ever do with our faith is absolutely nothing? One of the worst things that we can accomplish in our life of believers is never tell somebody about what Jesus Christ has done in our life. I'm convinced that if Jesus Christ has actually done something in our life, then we will have no other option than to tell somebody. If it is supposedly the greatest news that humanity has ever heard, how can we say that it has changed our lives and that it has redeemed us and reclaimed us from the grave and then never tell anybody? How can we allow it to be a placeholder in our conversation in our week 
but not let it be the foundation by which all of our life is built off of for the rest of the whole week. It begins with a necessary sorrow, realizing our brokenness, our failure to fear God, our failure to pursue complete holiness. And we pursue holiness just enough to look the part, just enough to get by. And then we make the excuses for the rest of it. I'm too busy. Well, this is going on. I don't know how that's going to hold up one day when we try to use that as our reasoning. So fathers and anybody else in this room, this is my challenge for you. The world tells you to be strong. The world tells you to be independent. The world tells you to be confident. But as we've read in Paul's letter, sometimes when we walk with Jesus Christ, even though there will be joy and happiness, there will also be times of brokenness, times of sorrow. And that is necessary if we are going to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us the things of God, to overshadow our natural tendencies to laziness and allowing things to take precedence over Jesus, who should be the foundation of our lives. So as we seek to be the church of Jesus Christ, let us seek to be people who live in sorrow, in sorrow over our sin, in sorrow over the state of our world. And let us be people who pursue Jesus Christ complete holiness that we might learn to fear God and then we will earn the life that Jesus Christ has made possible. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are grateful to be here today celebrating our fathers, celebrating the ones who have taught us what it means to be neighbors, what it means to be leaders, what it means to love our family, our friends, sometimes the ones that give us the example of how not to do things. But God, most of all, we are thankful that you are our Father, that through your holiness and your perfection, you still choose to love us. And that even when we fail you, your grace is available. So God, give us a desire to experience that relationship as your child to the fullness. Allow ourselves to be broken when we hear your words that confront us when we hear words that bring shame about within us because we know we are not living as you have called us to live, that that bond with you as our Father would lead us to repentance. God, as your people, let our goal be to pursue holiness, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings hope and restoration and redemption. God, don't let us waste our time with anything else set as our priority or our purpose. Thank you for this day. 
We give you all the praise and we rejoice in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.